This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. Uh, this is a very special mini-sode. I'm Brian Murray, joined by Paul Jaisley. Hey, Brian. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. I'm excited to talk about this comic with you, and I, I'm very curious why you chose this comic uh, to do a mini-sode about. Yeah. Uh, today, Paul and I are going to be talking about this book that I might have mentioned once or twice. Uh, it's called We Only Find Them When They're Dead being sarcastic because of course i won't <laughs> shut up about this book <laughs> yes yes and that's uh, i think that's interesting i i um i remember picking this up uh, initially based purely on the creative team uh it's written by al ewing or by simone DeMio. um it's published by boom and um again al ewing is a name that at this point i'm pretty much willing to buy anything and give it a shot but brian i'm curious why this particular book the maybe the uh premise of it is what hooked you or what keeps you coming back to it and wanting to talk about it on the show? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely the the premise of the book, which is that uh, in the 2300s, uh, weird space gods are kind of like <laughs> drifting dead up on the shores of our galaxy. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what they are or where they came from, but that's one heck of a mystery. It certainly <laughs> has me curious. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Our, yeah. our main character, Georges, as well. Yeah, I think what's interesting, you know, the premise, as you put it, is pretty much sells the book alone to me. You know, the idea of it's kind of a mix of space pirates because we have a team of a crew on a spaceship that are uh, tracing, chasing down these ancient dead space deities and carving them up for parts, essentially, for resources. That's an interesting concept. But on top of that, I think... What keeps the book interesting and keeps me picking it up month to month is the way Ewing uses that almost as a background to tell a much more uh, personal story about the uh, main character and his relationship to the rest of the crew. Yeah, it's very interesting because this book is at the same time both personal and massive in scope. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I I like that because ever since uh, Jack and Stan introduced Galactus way back in Fantastic Four number 48, something about comic books and space gods, those two things just go together like peanut butter and chocolate. You know, the idea of, in a comic book, you can draw a giant space deity just floating there in space, and somehow it just makes sense, and is just so cool. So, when you can marry that to a personal story, it's a really uh, engaging comic, you know? Yeah, definitely. So... I guess what would you say is your like your favorite part of the comic? Is it that personal story? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I mean, we're focusing on the story, and um, I think again, to me, I think I picked this up based on Al Ewing's name because I enjoyed his work on Zombo and the Immortal Hulk so much that I kind of figured him doing a creator-owned series would be very interesting, and it's paying off so far. And that's really been my main uh, attraction to the book. The way that Ewing, again, almost undersells the vastness and brilliance of the concept of, again, space pirates mining ancient space gods, that becomes a background to a deeper story you're learning about the main character, George, and his uh, his obsession with finding one that's alive, right? And mm-hmm. the way that idea of the mystery that's kind of built in, even the title alone, we only find them when they're dead, hinting at a bigger story and the way Ewing is able to very smallly tease out this bigger relationship between the characters 
makes it a really engaging read. And I honestly had more of that when I went back to reread it for this episode. Reading it month to month is one of these books that may not work that well, you know? So going back mm-hmm. and reading all the issues in a oneer, I saw the bigger picture, the 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 framework of the bigger picture Ewing is putting together more clearly on the reread. And again, it, it comes down to the small little details he's teasing as the story goes on. Yeah, no, I I agree one hundred percent with that. There was on my first read through, I I struggled to follow some of the the jumps around in time that happened. Right. Yeah. Because uh, George is captain of the Vihan 2. Uh, but we occasionally cut back to his parents' vessel, the Vihan 1, which mm-hmm. uh, had some kind of accident or was, was destroyed by the space cops, for lack of a better term. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so we, we kind of got hints to, like, why that might have happened, and his, his brother is often mentioned. But when I went back and reread it after having sort of absorb those pieces by themselves it was much easier to really synthesize them into something more concrete yeah yeah and uh i think that's a really interesting way to to do the story again i mean putting space gods and space pirates into a comic is is pretty easy but to to give them give the universe that sort of lived in feel to kind of unravel a mystery and make it engaging on top of that is a really neat trick to pull off. And I think Ewing does it really, really well. He's such a, a smart storyteller in that he doesn't dump a bunch of information on you. He trusts the reader to put the pieces together for themselves, you know, and kind of follow him where he's, wherever he's going to go. Yeah, and I think that a, a creator who didn't have the amount of built-in trust that I think Ewing has with a lot of readers uh, might not have been able to pull this off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I might yeah. not have given a different author as much credit as I gave Ewing. <laughs> That's true. I mean, there is a weird push and pull there where it's like uh, certain creators, you're willing to give them more leeway when stuff doesn't, isn't clear right off the bat, you know, cause you trust them. So it works both ways, I guess. And uh, yeah, I think again, it's an interesting title because the way each issue sort of begins is this idea of why, you know, George is so interested in finding one alive, right? The idea of like, we only find these space gods when they're dead. Why is that? That's hinting at an even bigger mystery that's kind of beyond the scope of the personal story he's telling. But that's the obsession that's driving the main character, you know? And I, I think the way Ewing is hinting at something bigger that's clearly going to come down the, the pike. We're still in the first uh, volume or... Uh, um, season so to speak of this book and i think it's just going to get bigger and more massive as it goes on because of that yeah i mean this is something that didn't really click with me until you mentioned pirates uh they're also (laughs) a lot like whalers in a sense Uh, yeah yeah which makes george kind of a good parallel to ahab yeah yeah and the idea of uh him manning a crew of or commanding a crew of uh people and you're kind of getting the hint that maybe he has closer relationships with some of the crew than he does others, you know, both physical and emotional. It, we learn as the book goes on. And the idea that on top of all this, there is, you mentioned the space cops, a sort of governing body that's controlling the uh, the spaceways as, the, as it is. One thing I find really interesting, and when I went back and reread it, how often the characters have to guard what they're saying, because as they keep hinting at, the ship that they're on has ears. 
and there can't be a record of some of their conversations. And I, I really like the sort of built-in secrecy that Ewing has very smartly put in there to make it, you know, more mysterious as it goes on. You know, he can only give you so much information because of this built-in rule he's put in place, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a really great way to keep things from the, the reader without just not telling them things for no reason. Yeah, and again, I just something about the. I think it's again Ewing as a writer, but the way the book has been able to maintain a mystery and be compelling, again on top of the already appealing concept of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed the book. I think maybe uh, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the show when that inspired you to pick it up, or because uh, yeah, I, I think mean, so. Yeah, I think okay. when when issue number one was coming out, I think you had it as your your pick for the following week or something. Mm-hmm. And it's you've claimed it as your own, Brian. It's become your your, your go to mention on the show, right? Become my obsession, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I also want to talk about the art because I think maybe this might be a point where we might disagree a little bit. So I'm reading this book month to month in physical issues. Are you reading it digitally or, or physically? I am reading it digitally. Okay, and I wonder if that makes a difference because I really like Simone de Mio's artwork. But there are times where I find it a bit hard to follow. I think going back to reread it, it clicked for me better. But I remember, I remember the first couple of issues, me having a hard time teasing out what ship we're on at certain times. Part of that is, again, you mentioned the time jumps. We are jumping between, um, you know, about a 40-year difference in time, you know, between the past and the present, or 30 years, I guess. But there are times where I found, as much as I like the the design of the characters and designs of the ships, and I really like the way the space gods are drawn, I do find it sometimes hard to follow at times. I wonder if that might just be because the printed page is a little bit more muted as opposed to the brightness of the screen. Um, no, I, I do think I see what you're, what you're saying. Like, it's... I don't have a good visual idea of, like, where on the ship each character is. <laughs> sure yeah that that also just didn't occur to me to think about okay i was much more focused on those character designs which mm-hmm. are, are great like each character has a very distinctive look uh which is very uh very helpful when you don't know the characters very well yet you can yeah. at least say oh yeah that that person is the one who does this thing on the ship <laughs> and i think that that is sort of aided by the fact that, especially in the first few issues, it does seem like each each character is kind of in their own part of the ship. And because of that, they're kind of given a separate color palette. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I remember in that first issue where it's when I, you're kind of seeing each character, each character is kind of shown in a different color palette. So it's easier to, to pick out who's who or what part of the ship they're on. And I should mention that the uh, Simone DeMio... And then uh, is doing the artwork, and there's color assists by Maria Maria Sarah Mioto Mioti. Sorry. Uh, and uh, again, I wonder if the colors might work better on the screen too, because there are times where, as much as I like it, I'm not putting it down. I like the artwork and I like the color a lot, but sometimes I wonder if the printed the printing process mutes the colors in a way that makes it a little bit muddier than it would be on the screen. Uh, I don't think so, because I did actually, like, muted is a word I would use for the colors in this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it gives it a very dreamlike, ethereal uh, sense to it. Yeah. Where yeah. it's 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 just very, uh, it's tough to put into words, 
beyond beyond <laughs> just dreamlike. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I think we're so used to seeing science fiction being lit and presented a certain way. And this book, as I was going back and rereading it to talk about it today, I kind of realized, again, as you said, you don't really have a sense of how big the ship is or where they are in relationship to each other. And like, I think that that kind of helps uh, create the world that they're in where it's like, you don't know how big the ship is. It's, you know, it's probably bigger than you're imagining. You're used to seeing science fiction where everyone's kind of in the same room on a spaceship, but Mm -hmm. ship might actually might not function that way. I mean, just based on the dynamics or mechanics of it. And then you also have, they're in deep space. There's not a lot of light. So basically everyone's being lit by the control panels in whatever part of the ship they're on. So it all makes sense why it looks the way it does, but it's kind of different from the way I'm usually, I usually see science fiction, and spaceships presented in most other media. Yeah, and I, I I think that works. At least it works for me. Yeah, there's a lot of what I would call cool colors. There's <laughs> lots of blues and purples and greens. Yeah. Um, like you said, there's there's no what you might call natural light, which right. I mean, it's it's deep space. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, and so everything is just sort of lit by. You know, like you said, the, the control panels or like the engines of a ship going by or their <laughs> giant laser scalpel they use to carve up God flesh. <laughs> I just love talking about space gods is just casually like that. It's like it's, it's so fun to me. You mentioned the scalpels and the one cool thing that I, I really appreciate is the way that they're able to use the color palette to make things glow. That's one of my favorite gimmicks in comics, whether it's on mm-hmm. the screen or on the printed page, the way that whoever designs the colors to make things look like they're actually glowing on the page, even though they're clearly not, you know, it's just ink on a page. But that trick always kind of impresses me when I see it, especially in this book, because it stands out so visually, so vividly. Yeah, that sort of fuzzy halo of color around things. I love how, in, in a lot of ways, for most of the people, except George, this has all become very mundane in a in a way. Like, yeah harvesting the cheek of this god is just their job (laughs) and it's it's so strange to think about that yeah there's almost a disconnect between you you know the vastness of what they're doing and the importance of what they're doing and just it just being a job albeit a very dangerous job at times but it is just how they make their living and you know george still has that sort of twinkle in his eye and this sort of imagination and this lust for it that everyone else seems to have lost. Yeah, that that that's interesting. I didn't men- realize that till you mentioned it. Yeah, like like the rest of his crew is is kind of on the same page as him. Though not, none of them will have his his obsession. But all all the other people, you know, they're they're just out there to make a buck. They've they've lost the wonder of finding a giant being dead <laughs> on the edge of the galaxy. <laughs> right. I hope I never lose that. You know, <laughs> it, it just goes to show sense. humans can get used to anything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's really a rich story. And I think it, again, it really benefited to go back and reread it. You know, I think the next volume is starting up within the next month or so. You know, we have May, five issues think, now. Yeah. May, yeah. So we have five issues now. And I think Ewing, again, is a very meticulous storyteller. So I, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that are going to start paying off in the next volume. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's an interesting book to me because I, as much as I'm enjoying reading it, I really got more out of it through on the reread. 
So it's one of those things like, do I switch to buying it in trade, but I still like supporting the single issues because I, I really like the cover treatment on these books. So mm-hmm. I'm enjoying buying it month to month. So, But it might be one of those books that I do let accumulate and then sit down and read in one go. So Yeah, I think my plan is to buy the physical trades. So I've been sure. buying digital singles and then... Mm-hmm. When they when they release the collection, which by the time this episode releases will have come out, but <laughs> yes, yes, and hopefully right. I haven't read it because we have spoiled pretty much a lot of. I mean, we haven't spoiled some stuff, but you know, yeah, if we, you want to go in blind, yeah, we've kept the 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 biggest twist to ourselves yes. so far. Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> and no, I do want to give a special mention of the cover treatment again. It um is a very unwieldy title for a comic. I have to admit. And I appreciate the fact that whoever's doing the cover design sort of leaned into that. And basically the cover is the title, right? It takes up the complete cover of the comic. Uh, And it just really stands out on the stands. And then, um, you know, when you're reading the issues, there is the cover or the title page in each issue. It's a double page spread with that big title spread across both pages. It's a very unique and distinct sort of presentation of it. And I really appreciate it when comics try to look different and stand out that way yeah it's it's a very uh cinematic way of doing it it reminds me a lot of like the title card for an episode of a tv show where you might get like the cold open and then you get the musical sting and the the title card and then you're back into the episode yeah and you know ewing is one of these uh, writers who when you start to notice certain tricks that he does you start seeing him everywhere he does it a lot in Immortal Hulk, and he's doing it here where the title of the book, that title page, is almost part of the dialogue, you know? So in the first issue, you have the young George talking to his mother, and he's there's see the space god, and he kind of whispers to himself, why isn't it moving? And then you turn the page, and then you get the title, we only find them when they're dead. That becomes a recurring part of the comic, like that is a a phrase he's almost repeating to himself and it's part of the dialogue and also the title. It's a really neat trick that Ewing, I think, does in some other books as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I actually picked up on that, so thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, uh, issue four, three or four, where there's an, another flashback where he's talking to his mother and she says, oh, oh, George, don't you realize? And then it turned the page and it's that's the title. It's like, that's what the next thing she would say, you know, in that sentence. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a neat trick. Um, yeah, it's a book that does feel like it's a very unique book to me. I think it has some very distinct creators who have their own distinct style, and they seem to work really well together. And mm-hmm. it makes for a really satisfying read. And I think uh, if you are curious, if you haven't read it yet, hopefully you've done a good job selling it, because I think more people should get their eyes on this. Yeah, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the word unique. Like, there, there <laughs> are elements of traditional sci-fi that you can find in this book but it is very much unlike anything else i've ever really consumed sure which is so funny to me because again like i said space gods and comics they go together so well so when i you know heard about this book and read the premise as one of those things like why hasn't anyone else done this yet this seems like such a, a an amazing idea i'm kind of surprised that haven't seen anyone else try it you know yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I think a lot of comics, the most interesting thing about their space gods to their comic is that they are a living and active presence in the book. You know, like yes. Galactus yeah. is interesting because he's a threat. 
and he has to be <laughs> confronted and stopped. So I think it's a, a really interesting take to say, you know, what if, what if these gods are just carcasses and <laughs> we are the flies buzzing around them? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, it, it, I like the idea. Again, you hinted at the, the way some characters see it as so mundane and ordinary. And again, it's like this, the wonder of the concept being undersold kind of makes it more interesting in a way that makes Mm -hmm. sense. You know, it's like, um, I don't, you've probably never read all of Jack Kirby's, uh, fourth world stuff, the new God stuff, but there's one issue in that. And it's, it's burned into my memory. It's one of those amazing Jack Kirby double page spreads. And he's talking about, as you get closer to the edge of the universe, the edge uh, where the source wall is, you find the bodies of ancient gods who were basically trapped there and couldn't get back because they were trying to go beyond the, the source wall and didn't work. And there's this image of a giant, I mean, enormous space god chained to a meteor, uh, like an asteroid. And it's, you know, it's the classic Jack Kirby, like, uh, hyperbole like a billion years passes between each heartbeat but he's like this giant space god strapped to an asteroid and that's like burned in my brain i'm like yeah al ewing saw that too and that must be where he got the idea for this book right it's one of these things like space gods and comics are so intertwined to have a fresh take on it is is really exciting i guess that's what i'm getting at i just want yeah. to talk about jack kirby for a second of course if we're talking about <laughs> space gods so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you'd be doing this book a disservice if you didn't mention it. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so That's not a frame of reference that I have, not being the, <laughs> the comics classicist. Uh, <laughs> but you recognize the source. I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of that stuff is that sort of the, the cool thing you can do with comics. It's you're only limited by your imagination and what you can draw, or you can pay someone else to draw. So you can kind of do stories like that with, with Space Gods, which might not work in any other medium. So, yeah, and... I very briefly kind of want to ask, I'm not as big of a sci-fi fan, I think, as you are, but I'm kind of glad that we both found something attractive about this book in that it's it's sci-fi, but it's it's more personal. It doesn't feel, it's not, even though it's high concept, it doesn't feel as high concept as some other science fiction that I've had trouble getting into. Is that your, uh, your take on it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that some sci-fi are, uh, excuse me, some sci-fi authors uh, tend to get bogged down in the details of the world right. they're trying to create, mm-hmm. and Ewing definitely doesn't do that. Like he, right. he tells us, you know, like these gods are incredibly valuable. You know, you can make a lot of money off the the flesh and the eye jelly and all that <laughs> stuff. But he doesn't <laughs> get down the the rabbit hole of. Well, you see, if we harvest this part, then it can be used to make this, and that's good for spaceships. And you know, right, right, right. Yeah, we are just told that it's valuable. We are shown people risking their lives to get it, so we understand <laughs> the degree of value, and then that's it. We don't need to worry about it too much after that. Yeah, there's more important things to be discussed than the space gods, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good point. Again, we talked about trusting Ewing as a writer and him trusting the audience. There's very little exposition in this book, which made it a little bit difficult at first, and that's what I think makes it a better book to go back and reread or read in one sitting, because there is very little of handholding and there's very little exposition. There seems to be. I don't want to call it like an omniscient narrator, but there's little bits where there are captions saying, 
you know, this is the ship, it's a four-person crew, um, or I'll tell you what time a certain scene is taking place, but that's about it. There's not much other setup that's being given to you aside from the dialogue between the characters. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very a very uh, everything is conveyed in universe beyond <laughs> just giving you that like bare bones framework of like, you know, this is a spaceship. You as a human on Earth are not going to have any way to know, you know, the size of the spaceship or the crew complement unless they just tell you. Yeah, and again, I think um, that is almost more interesting to me. I think one of my hang-ups with a lot of sci-fi, as you said, is that they get bogged down in the details or there's too much exposition trying to make sure you understand exactly what's going on or explain the science there. And, uh, you know, I don't need much science beyond their space gods, and this is a spaceship. <laughs> you don't need to go much further into detail for me. Uh, so I think, again, it's a, it's a comic that I initially was... I don't know how to put this. Um, I wanted to enjoy more than I did, but as I kept reading, and especially when I went back to reread, I really enjoyed uh, a lot. You know, it really grabbed me again when I went back to reread it. So I guess I have to say thank you for making me go back and reread it to talk about it, because now I'm, I'm jazzed for uh, Volume 2 to come out. Yeah, I'm. Th- <laughs> this, this is one of those books that I keep telling people to read because I just want to talk about it. And sure. I can't do that unless I can force somebody else to get into it. <laughs> I see. I see the grand scheme here, Brian. Uh, so, do you um, maybe want to? Uh, should we speculate? Speculate on what we uh, we think might happen down the down the line, um, or should we? Uh, uh, I feel if we do that, we might have to give away some spoilers. But yeah, maybe we should keep that to ourselves. Yeah, maybe we can uh, we can write our predictions down, and then when we come back <laughs> to do volume two, we can see if we were right or not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I think again, uh, I hinted at the relationships between the crew. I think are really interesting. Uh, George is a very complex character, and I think we're only getting a small snippet uh, of him in this first volume. You know, obviously we're learning about his background and uh, his past, but you know the the way he sort of interacts with the other shipmates. There's a lot there to be unpacked and explored, I think. So Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think we can we can count on Ewing to do that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh yeah. Well, um I don't know, Brian, do you have anything else? I, I I'm again I, I have to uh I have to say thank you for making me reread this and uh and uh to talk about it. And uh I'm 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 glad that you liked it. Again, I think you know, you picked up based on my recommendation. I'm always hesitant when people do that because if they don't like it, then I feel <laughs> personally responsible. So uh, I, I'm glad you're enthusiastic about this book. Yeah, I mean, I, I could go on all day. Uh, so instead of doing that, <laughs> I think I will just wrap us up here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Head. Paul is at Ohi Polly. Uh, you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. And this episode first aired on our Patreon and was made possible because of our wonderful wonderful Patreons who support us over there. You can join today for more exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, Giant Days of Our Lives, and much more. That's over at patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I think five stars is a fair rating. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It honestly really helps spread the word about the show. You can also join us at the IRCB Discord to chat about comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record them. You can do that at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. 
And it would help us so much if you would just tell your friends about the show, uh, or maybe even your local comic shop. Infinity Shred is the best band in the galaxy. They do the music for our show. Xander is the ancient space god who edits the show and makes everything possible. I want to say thank you to Xander for editing. Thank you to Paul for joining me on this episode. Thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you.